Україна моя рідна, це моя земля. Тут родилися на світ батько, мати я. А Карпати рідна хата, смерковий край. Українську нашу пісню грай, музико грай. Люди щирі, люди, ми одна сім'я. А у нас вітер, вільний вітер, а у нас море, чорне море, а у нас квіти, сонця квіти, вічна ця земля. Ми усі одна родина, доля жерела, і від батька, і до сина силу козака, і від матері, Andre Knyaz with Blue Sky, Yellow Field, and a beautiful patriotic song about love for one's country and a willingness to fight to the death to secure its freedom and sovereignty. The title, of course, refers to the colors of Ukraine's flag and an easy way to remember the significance of Ukraine's agrarian roots as the breadbasket of Europe and more recently the world, blue skies over golden yellow wheat fields. Dobrý večer i vítáju vás všech dorohých radio sluchačů na radio programu Náš holos, radio Ukrajinského kuríně, která podíje se vám jak zvyčajně što sobotě v šestý hodiní na bohatomovní radiostanci AM1320 CHMB u místí Vancouveri. Při mikrofoni Pavlina, děkuji, što rýšala perebuci z jinojů. Hello there and welcome to Náš holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, coming to you here on AM1320 CHMB Vancouver. I'm your host Pavlina, thank you so much for joining me. On today's show, we've got uh, another did-you-know factoid about Ukraine that's uh, worth uh, being reminded, as well a book review, and also a commentary from back in 2014 that has such relevance to what's going on today and uh, that I just had to share it with you, along with some personal commentary because it does have a personal 
twist to it. So stay tuned for that, as well our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is a song that came out uh, shortly after the first invasion of Ukraine in 2014. And it is a song from the ATO zone, the anti-terrorist operation, which is what they called uh, the invasion into eastern Ukraine, Luhansk and Donbass, at the time. And uh, this is a story about um, a young man going off, finding himself in a trench, wearing, you know, a shopka, a hat, with a gun in his hand, and just thinking about how different life is now from just a short while ago. The song is called Skorostiril Kufaika, translates roughly as rapid fire. Fajka i stry zubom szapka łatra lisowa Daruj Boże mojej Ukrainie wilni i prawa Daruj Boże mojej Ukrainie wilni i prawa Skoro strzelku fajka i stry zubom szapka И ночна зоря, побратима мод зачепила, куля вражая, побратима мод зачепила, куля вражая, він лежит на листі пізньою весною, и ночна зоря. Yeah. 
weekend passes for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival are available for only $150. Kids 12 and under get in free. Don't miss the very best in Ukrainian culture, food, music, and dancing over three incredible days, July 29th to 31st, at the festival site near Dauphin, Manitoba. Your one-pay gate gives you access to all the on-site attractions on four feature stages, including the amazing grandstand variety shows and evening dance parties. Order your weekend passes and camping passes by phone at 204-622-4600 or online at cnuf.ca.
and a brand new release by Nastasia Y, a Ukrainian-born Canadian fusion artist uh, in Toronto. And she was working on this song for quite a while, and um, she released it because she felt, strangely now, this is the right time. It's about a, a soldier saying goodbye to his love just as the first star comes out in the sky. All proceeds in June go to Musicians Defend Ukraine, so please consider uh, donating 5 10 or more dollars if you can by purchasing this song on Nastya's Bandcamp site and help save the lives of musicians turned into soldiers. And that leads right into the personal story that I wanted to share with you about a young soldier, not a lover or a musician, but a, a friend. His name is Volodymyr Velkov, and on February 26th, he sent me a private message with a, a short video of a missile strike on a high-rise building in Kiev, not far from where he was. Everyone in those early days of Russia's full-scale war of aggression against Ukraine was reeling in shock and disbelief and numb to the stark and certain realization that it was just the first of many horrors to come. I met Volodya in Lviv in 2012. He gave me a private tour of the Faina Petrikova Scientific Center for Judaica and Jewish Art and shared with me the hopes and dreams he had for his future and that of his country. So different, such a different world 10 years ago. Volodya was a frequent contributor to Nash Holos in 2013 and 2014. He supervised the content production for Ukrainian Jewish Heritage Features with Renata Hananets in the first year of its seven-year sponsored run. He also provided some valuable insights on the Maidan uprisings in Kiev and Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea and invasion of Luhansk and Donbass regions of eastern Ukraine. We've kept in touch from time to time in the years since. Just a few days ago, he sent me a link to a photo he posted of himself in full military camouflage and holding his combat weapon. It made me weep. I told him so, and in his usual cheerful way, he thanked me for my support and prayers. Feeling totally helpless, I asked if there was anything I could do to help him send money, share his story. Well, Volodya didn't want money for himself, but would accept it for his unit, which is collecting funds for a pickup truck to help them get around quickly and increase chances of avoiding fire. Sharing his story could, of course, potentially put him and his unit in danger, so there's not much I can tell you, or would, if I knew, about where he is and what he's doing now, apart from risking his life for his country, like so many of his countrymen and women. The last thing he said to me is that he would ask his superior for permission to make a comment on the show. I do at least have commentary he sent me back in 2014 that I can share with you. The insights he shared in March of that year should have been a chilling wake-up call for the West. The West should have done its part to uphold the terms of the 1994 Budapest Memorandum, which Putin so brazenly violated 20 years after signing it. In fact, the United States and the United Kingdom should not have bullied Ukraine into handing over its nukes to the Kremlin in the first place. But at least they should have done what they could to stop Putin then. With the scale and brutality of Russia's attack escalating beyond what anyone could have imagined prior to February 24th, Volodya's warnings and dire predictions now can be seen with 2020 hindsight. Добрий день. This is Volodymyr Valkov at the American-Ukrainian Bureau on Human Rights in Lviv, Ukraine, and the Faina Petrikova Scientific Center for Judaica and Jewish Art. 
Russian propaganda is trying as hard as it can to paint the popular pro-democracy protest in Ukraine as a coup by the fascists and extremists. What basis is there really to state such claims? The real basis to argue that Ukraine has become overrun by fascists and ultra-nationalists is non-existent. Millions of people from western eastern parts of Ukraine supported the Maidan protest. Demographic surveys of Maidan showed that 52% of protesters came from western parts of Ukraine, 31% from central Ukraine, and 17% from eastern and southern parts. Leaders of the Jewish communities of Ukraine have all stated that there is no threat of anti-Semitism and fascism in Ukraine. They also confirmed that in regard to the Pravei sector, the right sector, and Svoboda party, Russian propaganda is blowing things out of proportion. In addition, pro-Russian groups orchestrated the reported assaults that took place during Maidan protesters against members of the Jewish community in Ukraine in order to discredit the pro-democracy movement in Ukraine. The first and foremost reason for the unrest in Crimea is Russian propaganda. Just like in other breakaway regions such as Abkhazia and Transnistria, Russia is brainwashing the pro-Russian population with horrors of nationalism. Russia is doing this in the best traditions of the Communist Soviet Union, who always considered nationalism of any kind as its greatest enemy. And there is one favorite word that Russia's ruling elite likes to describe its enemies with. Fascists. Russian propaganda is virulent. The myth about the Bandera followers, fascists and neo-Nazis sneaking, creeping around Ukraine and attacking Russian speakers is a grotesque misrepresentation. The current national movement toward Ukrainian independence and sovereign statehood is not the same as in 1939, some of which was infiltrated and partly seduced by the Nazi ideology and false promises of statehood. There are admittedly some entirely inappropriate members on the far right, but their individual views and actions do not at all represent the mood and attitudes of the Ukrainian nationalism. Claims of a massive expansion of nationalism in Ukraine that is hostile to minorities or any particular ethnic groups residing in Ukraine are utterly untrue. It is incredible how the Soviet Union has succeeded in demonizing fascism while exalting the virtues of communism. Aren't the two systems, except some economic aspects, basically the same? Aren't the two systems both totalitarian regimes that opposed any notion of human rights? Is Mr. Putin, who has risen in the ranks as a KGB officer in the Soviet Russia, not a passionate communist himself? The ruling elite in modern Russia is basically the same as it used to be in the Soviet Russia. All of the government apparatus is dominated by yesterday's communists and Czechists all of whom are persons with the lowest moral standards, enamored with the totalitarian utopian vision of social order. For Mr. Putin and his ruling elite, the Cold War has truly never ended. Espionage, power balancing, creation of satellite regions and alternative economic and security institutions such as the Collective Treaty Security Organization and Customs Union, piling up arms and pulling out of the conventional forces in Europe treaty, launching of GLONASS, using Gazprom as a foreign policy tool. Isn't all of this enough to suggest that Mr. Putin's calculations are the same as during the Cold War? Putin has waited for the right timing and he is determined to win the Cold War because the greatness of Russia is what matters to him. So how does all of this help us to believe the Russian propaganda as true? 
There may be a few radical elements in Ukraine today as well as some clearly inappropriate members of the parliament. But what country doesn't have such elements? What should we then say about Mr. Zarinovsky? If these elements provide enough justification for Russia to wage a de facto war against Ukraine, then Putin should first start a war against himself and his own territory, where situation with anti-Semitism, xenophobia and radicalism is much worse. In fact, it is Russia that fuels radicalism in Ukraine. If Svoboda party, which won about 10% of the vote during the 2012 parliamentary elections in Ukraine, is the basis for a credible explanation for claiming that fascists are in power in Ukraine, then the world needs to immediately intervene into Austria, where the far-right Austrian Freedom Party received 17.54% of the vote in the 2013 parliamentary elections. And France, where the leader of the far-right National Front received 17.9% of the vote in the 2012 presidential elections, and in the Netherlands, where the far-right Freedom Party won 15.4% of the votes in the 2012 parliamentary elections. There is absolutely no evidence of any menace to either ethnic Russians or Russian speakers in Ukraine. Russian language is used on most TV channels and radio stations, even more so than the Ukrainian language. Most printed publications, books and magazines are published in Russian. Anyone can speak Russian freely in any corner of Ukraine. In Crimea, for example, there are 597 schools that use Russian as the primary language of instruction, 14 that teach in Tatar language and 7 schools that teach in Ukrainian. Moreover, ethnic Russians constitute 58% of the population in Crimea and in fact are a dominant majority group in Crimea. How could there be any credibility to the Kremlin's claim of the existence of a threat to Russian speakers in Crimea? There is also a major misconception that the language law that the Verkhovna Rada voted to cancel, but which the interim president Turchinov did not sign, somehow curtailed the freedom to use the Russian language. The language law was written by Kivalov, a person who helped to rig the vote count for Yanukovych in 2004, and Kolesnichenko the main member of parliament behind the package of highly anti-democratic laws adopted on January the 16th, 2014. The language law provided no financial mechanism to back up the stated objectives of supporting minority languages, was passed without a debate and violated several other legislative procedures. But the kivalov kolesnichenko law affords no special status to the Russian language per se. In fact, the law places Russian language equally with 18 other regional languages on the same level. It also clearly states that the law cannot be interpreted in any way to undermine the status and use of the official state language, which is Ukrainian. On the other hand, it is well known that the constitution of Ukraine already protects the Russian language and also secures the rights of linguistic, ethnic and religious minorities. Kremlin is going mad because it is terrified by the strengthening of democracy in neighboring Ukraine. And Mr. Putin is afraid that the democracy movement can spill over to his repressive tardom. That is why he yearns so badly to shut Ukraine down and impose his will. He also wants to show his military might, his legendary resolve as a powerful statement, who, as he hopes, history will remember him, was a noble gatherer of Russian lands. The major source of credible and highly dangerous threat to peace and security in Europe and the world today is Putin's revisionist regime that is so obviously engaged in the restoration of the former Soviet Union empire, glorification of its own supremacy in the region, 
and the orchestrated spread of brazen militarism. Today, in the aftermath of Russia's unprovoked and blatant incursion into Ukraine and the completely staged referendum, which by the way has provided a good example of the way Mr. Putin gets his electoral landslide victories in Russia, the future of peaceful Europe and international security order is in the state of tremendous danger of growing insecurity and uncertainty. There can be no appeasement policy toward Putin. Every day that the world hesitates in applying the toughest sanctions against despotic Kremlin is going to make it more expensive to stop Russia later on. There will be a high price to pay if we miss the dangerous loss of Putin's self-control. This is Volodymyr Volkov, especially for Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Until next time. Volodya Volkov, a past contributor to Nash Holos, speaking in March of 2014, just after Russia's invasion of Crimea and eastern Ukraine. Volodya is now at the front, fighting the invaders and attackers. If you'd like to make a donation to his unit, which urgently needs a transport vehicle, please contact me through the form on the Nash Holos website, www.nashholos.com, or email me directly, producer at nashholos.com. Thank you for listening and for supporting Volodya and his unit risking their lives for Ukraine. Please pray for him, for his teammates, and for Ukraine. Slava Ukraini, Heroim Slava. Here's a traditional Ukrainian folk song by Montreal's Padovit from an early recording made years ago about a soldier asking his sweetheart for a loving send-off to war. Напиши до ненги, 
From Newfoundland, that was Brian Sherwick and the Kubasonics with a recent release called Kalena. And coming up next, on that kind of musical theme of nautical theme and maritime theme here is a Ukrainian artist by the name of Helena Andrusova 
also goes by Eileen, with the Ukrainian version of uh, Sea Shanty that uh, went viral last year called The Wellerman Song. Пішов корабель у море один, бляшанка з чаєм так звався він. Равливий трихилився, ніс, гей, хлопці, прорвемось. Скоро підмо прийде, чай цукориром нам привезе. В той день із китом буде все, додому попливемо. Двох тижнів час іще не сплив, як справжній кит до них підплив. Всім грізно капітан звелів, китами візьмемо. Скоро підмо прийде, чи цукориром нам привезе. В той день, як схитом буде все, додому попливемо. Спустили човен враз на воду, як вдарив кит хвостом по ньому. Гарпунили його невтомно, а кит пірнув на дно. Скоро підмо прийде, чи цукориром нам привезе. В той день із китом буде все, додому попливемо. Не ріжуть линбу, кит не йде, не в грошах справа, просто честь. Для капітана понад все, тож далі їх тягло. Скоро підмо прийде, чи цукориром нам привезе. В той день із китом буде все, додому попливемо. Човнів четвірка лиш зосталась, не слабша вкит на зло. Скоро підмо прийде, чи цукориром нам привезе. В той день, як скитом буде все, додому попливемо. Говорять, битва йде давно, живий кит і линву не ріже ніхто. Підмога підвозить їжі питво, щоб чим збадьоритися всім було. Скоро підмо прийде, чи цукориром нам привезе. This is Irena Bell, producer and host of the Ukrainian Hour on Chin Radio in Ottawa with a Did You Know Chisnalevi segment and special greetings to the listeners of Nash Holos. Did you know that the trident symbol, as featured in the current Ukrainian coat of arms, is more than 1,000 years old? While signing a treaty with Byzantium, the ambassadors of the Kievan prince Ihor in the 10th century used the trident in their seals. The trident or trizub was stamped on the gold and silver coins issued in the 10th and 11th centuries by Prince Volodymyr the Great. During the Kievan Rus period, the trident or trizub was also found on the bricks of various churches, castles and palaces, and on ceramics, weapons, rings, medallions, seals and manuscripts. Almost 200 variations of the trizub from medieval times have been discovered in Ukraine. In December 1917, the trident was adopted as a symbol of the Free Ukrainian People's Republic. 
officially discredited in Ukraine under the Soviets, the trident nevertheless remained the symbol of the national liberation movement. The Verkhona Rada, or Ukrainian Parliament, on February 1992 approved the Trezub or trident as the small state coat of arms. It appears on the presidential standard of Ukraine. Many thanks to Irena Bell of the Ukrainian radio program in Ottawa for sharing Chisnalave, Did You Know, with Nasholis listeners. You can catch her show Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is, of course, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, streaming live at www.chinradioottawa.com. Weekend passes for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival are available for only $150. Kids 12 and under get in free. Don't miss the very best in Ukrainian culture, food, music, and dancing over three incredible days, July 29th to 31st, at the festival site near Dauphin, Manitoba. Your one-pay gate gives you access to all the on-site attractions on four feature stages, including the amazing grandstand variety shows and evening dance parties. Order your weekend passes and camping passes by phone at 204-622-4600 or online at cnuf.ca. Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit shochenkofoundation.com. Ukraine is under deadly attack, and Ukraine War Amps is asking for your help with a tax-deductible donation today. Funds are desperately needed by Ukrainian defenders for bulletproof jackets, helmets, walkie-talkies, food, water and gas, and by civilians, including children, for food, water and medications and, when possible, escape to safety. Please donate today to Ukraine War Amps via PayPal, e-transfer to ukrainewaramps at gmail.com or visit ukrainewaramps.ca. I feel the east wind kiss my face, I hear the long grass give a sigh. Reminds me of a distant place, untamed, unchanged, untouched by time. We're in a bad situation, an invasion, a war. Again we face occupation, just can't take any more. The music floods down from the sky, illumination from the sun. Winged figures dancing as they fly, like them I feel like having fun. 
Then I awake and remember Separation from you Because of forced relocation I can't believe this is true I try forgetting for a while But that's the way it had to be I like remembering your smile And I'll remember you remembering me I try to send you a message I just want you to know I'm always thinking of you I just can't wait to come home I feel the east wind kiss my face I hear the long grass give a sigh Reminds me of a distant place Untamed, unchanged, untouched by time I try forgetting for a while But that's the way it had to be I like remembering your smile And I'll remember you remembering me I feel the east wind kiss my face I hear the long grass give a sigh From London, England, that was Ludwig Stepan Pasichnik from an album he released many years ago, um, a couple of decades, I think, now. It's uh, called Electric, and that song was called The Refugee Song, and who knew how timely it would be 20 years later. Welcome to Knishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, Ukrainian stories in English. In this edition of Knishka Corner... We will be discussing Yuri Kostenko's book, Ukraine's Nuclear Disarmament, A History. Ukraine's Nuclear Disarmament, A History, published by the Ukrainian Research Institute at Harvard University, outlines the factors which led Ukraine to sign the Budapest Memorandum in 1994. This agreement denuclearized the country. It also questions whether this was the right decision for Ukraine's future. Yuri Kostenko's insider account will help readers understand the power dynamics involved with Ukraine's fateful decision to give up its nuclear weapons in the mid-1990s, leaving Ukraine vulnerable to Russian aggression. In 2014, 20 years after the Budapest Memorandum was signed, Russia annexed Crimea and supported an insurgency in eastern Ukraine. The first chapter, An Infant in a Grown-Up's Game, outlines the influences which impacted Ukraine's initial decision-making. In July 1990, 
as the Ukrainian parliament was drafting the Declaration of State Sovereignty of Ukraine, Ivan Drach, the leader of Narodny Ruch, suggested that perhaps nuclear weapons should be banned on Ukrainian territory. This was a new and controversial idea. After the dissolution of the Soviet Union, Ukraine was left with the third largest nuclear arsenal in the world, after the United States and Russia. Russia wanted complete nuclear disarmament of all former Soviet republics other than Russia. Russia would then take ownership of these nuclear armaments, giving them increased power, influence, and financial benefits. It would also remove all potential nuclear threats on its doorstep. Russians believed that Ukraine was still a part of Russia, and therefore Ukraine should readily comply with Russia's wishes. The United States also wanted to prevent the proliferation of nuclear weapons, and they preferred to maintain the status quo by moving the nuclear weapons to Russia. Subsequent chapters outline the torturous process which led to Ukraine's nuclear disarmament and the resulting weakening of its international status. In its early days of independence, Ukraine lacked a robust political, economic, and security decision-making structure. It was heavily reliant on Russian-influenced leaders. Russia and the United States moved ahead diplomatically, assuming Ukraine would eventually give up its nuclear arsenal. They negotiated the START I and START II treaties with very little Ukrainian input. Meanwhile, Ukrainian parliamentarians examined issues of payment for nuclear materials and retention of some weaponry. Ukraine's national interests and a distinct understanding that Russia was not our ally in this process were central to the development of the Nuclear Disarmament Action Plan. In 1994, the United States started belatedly supporting Ukrainian independence from Russian influence. However, with the election of President Kuchma and his new parliament in 1994, those Ukrainian diplomatic players who understood the potential risks were sidelined. In the end, Ukraine capitulated and signed the Budapest Memorandum. They believed their sovereignty would be protected in the future. Yuri Kostenko's account is a thorough examination of a difficult subject. As Ukraine's Minister of Environmental Protection and Nuclear Safety from 1992 to 1998, he participated in many of the discussions and negotiations relating to Ukraine's nuclear status. Based on previously unavailable documents, Kostenko gives readers insight into the Ukrainian parliamentary debates about Russian and American proposals for nuclear disarmament. These international partners exerted pressure on the newly independent Ukraine. In the end, Ukraine had little choice but to give up its nuclear arsenal to Russia. As a result, 
Ukraine was now virtually defenseless against Russian aggression. In 2014, when Russia invaded Crimea and eastern Ukraine, those countries who had guaranteed Ukraine's borders did not live up to their commitments. Koskenta tells readers, paper agreements and friendly pats on the back do not work in the contemporary world. This book will appeal to a variety of readers interested in Ukraine's history, nuclear disarmament, international politics, and Russian aggression. This dense but well-written text is thoroughly researched. Academics will appreciate the documents in the appendices, as well as the detailed footnotes. The photographs and biographical text boxes about key players in Ukraine's nuclear disarmament are also important to the historical record. Yuri Kostenko is a Ukrainian politician and leader of the Ukraine People's Party. From 1990 to 2014, he was a member of the Parliament of Ukraine. In the years 1992 to 1998, he joined the cabinet with portfolios governing environmental protection and nuclear safety. Kostenko was a top-level representative of Ukraine in the negotiations with the Western powers and Russia on the denuclearization of Ukraine in the 1990s. Ukraine's Nuclear Disarmament, a History, was published by the Ukrainian Research Institute at Harvard University, Huri. Kostenko currently lives in Kiev, Ukraine. Ukraine's Nuclear Disarmament, a History, is available at Amazon and Huri Books. Thanks, Myra. Join us again soon for another edition of Kanishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Прийшли окупанти до нас в Україну, форма новенька, воєнні машини, та трохи поплавився їх інвентар. Байрактар. Байрактар. Російські танкісти сховались в кущі, щоб лаптя посорбати довбані щі, та трохи у щах перегрівся навар. Байрактар. Байрактар Зі сходу припхались до нас барани Для восстановления великой страны Найкращий пастух баранячий потар Байрактар Байрактар Їх доводи всяке озброєння, різне ракети, потужні машини залізні, у нас на всі доводи є коментар. Байрактар! Байрактар! Вони захопити хотіли нас зразу, і ми зачаїли на орків образу, з бандитів російських робить примар. Байрактар! Байрактар 
Російська поліція справи заводить, на вбивцю рашистів ніяк не знаходить, хто ж винен, що в нашому полі глухар. Байрактар! Байрактар! Веде пропаганду кремлівський урод, слова пропаганди ковтає народ, тепер нове слово знає їх цар. And that was Bayraktar, and that is the name and the story of the Turkish drone that has been pushing back the Russian aggressors. And our proverb of the week translates as, The weak cannot conquer the strong. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. Just a reminder that the Nanaimo edition of Nash Holos can be heard in the Vancouver listening area on CHLY 101.7 FM. If you miss the on-air or live stream broadcast, the podcast link is available at our website www.nashholos.com. There's also a link to our Patreon site there and I hope you'll consider supporting our work. Again, that's www.nasholos.com. Well, our time is about up, so to take us to the end of our program, I blast from the past a group from Montreal called Zvin. This comes to us courtesy Roman Kostik of uh, Previt, and uh, this is a traditional Ukrainian folk song all about a girl called Haya. I'm Pavina on behalf of all of us here at Nasholos and AM1320. Thanks for listening, and Dobranich! Ганю за тобою, а ти то не знаєш. Боли 
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.